Dawn, I guess. They'll like the drama of that. Why do you have to do this? Why can't you call someone else? The Elite didn't take the fight to anyone else. They chose me. No, you went after them. They're slaughtering people and laughing about it. Black can punch a hole through a mountain by thinking. The hat tosses around demons like trained birds, and Pam... They have to be stopped. I think they can beat you. I'm sorry, but they are willing to go places you won't. And they are so damn strong. I heard a child say that he wanted to be in the elite when he grows up because it would be fun to kill bad guys. Fun to kill. People have to know that there's another way. They have to see that someone believes in humanity strongly enough to... To die for them? Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and welcoming a new guest and a fellow podcaster, and that is Craig McKenzie. Craig, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, you got me up a bit early, but that's okay. <laughs> um, well, I'm recording a bit late in the UK, so there we are. <laughs> so there we go, yeah. Time time changes, time differences are fun when you're podcasting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, uh, anyway, uh, like I said, you're a podcaster, so what I like to do with new guests is give them a chance to introduce themselves to the audience. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm a blogger and a podcaster. I run Neil Before Blog, which is found on neilbeforeblog.co.uk, where I review a lot of nerdy stuff like, well, things that we're about to talk about. <laughs> At the moment, I'm reviewing The Winchesters. I was reviewing She-Hulk. I'm doing... Not as much at the moment. There's not an awful lot on Star Trek Prodigy. So, yeah, I dabble in bits and pieces, do movie reviews as well. And then the Attached Podcast talks about much the same sort of stuff. The latest episode we released at the time of recording was talking about Doctor Who and the recent special. Not so recent now. We are sometimes behind the curve in terms of getting the episodes out. But, you know, the, the conversation's worth having regardless of how long it takes you to have it, I think. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's me. And I'm found on We Made This, which is where we met, actually, mm -hmm. which is a podcast network. And I'm on We Are Starfleet, predominantly there, which is the Star Trek podcast that talks about everything except the card at the moment because it has its own dedicated podcast. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I can't remember how I... I think, uh, I think AJ is the one who got in touch with me about... Um... I think it was about being on on partisan, and I think that's how I ended up getting up into the um, into the Discord. But tell us a little bit about um, we made this, and how'd you guys get all together for that? Well, I was recruited. I was actually at a Star Trek convention in Birmingham, and I ended up meeting Tony there. And I don't even remember this happening, but what happened was apparently I gave him my business card for the blog, mm -hmm. and then fast forward a few weeks more months later when he was organizing coverage for the first season of Picard I got a random message from someone I don't remember saying do you want to come on and guest on this Picard podcast we're doing and I was like yeah don't see why not and then the next thing you know I was on it and then I appeared on well, I appeared on two episodes in the first season one was an emergency I just happened to be available when someone dropped out so I appeared on one episode other than the one I was supposed to be on and then I appeared in the one I was supposed to be on and then I just sort of stuck around ever since I used to refer to myself as the John Barrowman of the We Made This Network, as in they got me on and then couldn't get rid of me. <laughs> Although I don't know if that's in poor taste now to refer to compare myself to John Barrowman. Is he still cancelled? I have no idea. I, was he? I didn't even know about that. 
there was some stuff about he was exposing himself on set when filming Doctor Who and Torchwood and oh, things like really? that. Oh, really? I didn't. I like it. Yeah, I had completely missed that. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, but I know that Stephen Amell stood by him after <clears throat> that point, and I don't know. I, I don't know if he's a a bad egg or not, but. I stand by my comparison because he is someone, once he appears on something, you just can't get rid of him. Right. He'll just right. take over. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, so why don't you talk a little bit about what got you into like nerd culture and nerdy stuff and all this kind of stuff, like comics, um, sci-fi, everything like that. I think it's before I can even remember mm-hmm. my grandparents, my uncle, my dad sort of indoctrinated me in Star Trek from a really young age. And I was reading comics as well because when you're that age, they're just cool, and you just right. want to know about stuff. I immediately glommed on to people like Superman and Spider-Man, watched the cartoons, read the comics, as I said, and just broadened my horizons as I went on, getting into different characters, different things. But I've always been ingrained in nerd culture to varying degrees. Mm. Obviously, everybody has their niches, and not everybody's into everything, regardless right. of what the media would like you to believe or whatever. You know, whenever you go into a bookshop where it's Here's historical fiction. Here's whatever. Here's all the nerd stuff just in this corner. It's everybody who's a nerd is into all this stuff. So I, it's not, I don't think that's necessarily the case for everybody. But yeah, I'm into a lot of stuff, and I'll be willing to give something a go. Mm-hmm. And then if I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. And yeah, I just grew up on it and never grew out of it. As is the case probably for all of us. Yeah. Uh, you also mentioned about doing TV reviews, and this is just kind of a digression, but you mentioned the Winchesters. I didn't even know that it came yeah. out yet. Uh, so how is it so far? It's five episodes in. It'll be six this week. And it's all right. It's not setting the world on fire in terms of being great or anything mm. like that. But it's a solid show. And the thing I've found most interesting about it is that it's confident enough to not throw references to the <clears throat> future of the franchise in your face every episode. There's the odd little nods. There's one where it's, oh yeah, here's the origin of us wearing disguises to go ask questions and things like that. But it's not like every episode where it'll wink at the audience and say, oh, that's that thing that Dean does in that episode, you know, in 20 years or whatever it is. So that's the biggest thing in its favour, I would say. And the two leads are good. I think it's struggling to structure its storytelling because you have all these characters. It's a team show, Mm -hmm. but it should really be a two-hander, I think. And the other three characters or four characters are just... It's their turn this week to get something to do. It's okay. that kind of structure. Okay. Um, yeah, I was looking forward to checking that out. So I, again, I didn't even realize it was out. So I'll have to um, catch up on that if, at some point. Usually, I wait for TV shows until they come out on on streaming to to watch to yeah. watch it all in one. It probably won't see season two with the CW imploding. But I think I just read. Right. That, I think I had read that it actually did get get a season two order but i'm not 100 percent sure or that no, it's, it's one of the ones that might survive is what i or something yeah. like that the last i heard was they didn't pick it up for a back season order the okay. beyond the 13 so i don't know maybe it okay. has been renewed maybe and I just yeah I, it was just an article like i just kind of glanced at and mostly i was just looking to see what it, what it had to say about superman and lois because i want that show to stay around <laughs> so badly yeah, I can't see that seeing any more than one season, one more season. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, we had um, a friend of mine was on the show uh, fairly recently, and we were talking about that, and he said, it's probably only got one season left. I'm like, don't say that. I know you're telling the truth, but don't say that. <laughs> it's going to be uh, weird getting used to a new John Kent. It is, that season. too. Yeah, right after. Uh, in the last season, possibly the last season, too. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm keep throwing it possibly. I'm, ho- I'm ho- holding on hope. So. Um, yeah, I hope. Too. I'd like to see the Arrowverse or Arrowverse adjacent just die. Yeah. As it seems to have pretty much been cast aside it seems like it yeah especially now that um uh gun is in charge of kind of like unifying everything so it seems like we're gonna get a lot less of that kind of you know alternate universe type stuff or side universe type stuff going forward but i don't know we'll we'll see what we'll see what he does um but uh anyway um also, one of the things I like asking uh, guests too lately is what kind of thing are you kind of interested in? What's kind of grabbing your attention, you know, not necessarily for a podcast or for your blog, but just kind of for fun. Uh, for fun, oh, I'm not sure. Um, I'm trying to find time to do a bit of gaming at the mm. moment because I go through phases where I play games loads of, well, a lot of the time and then I, then I won't play games for ages. And I recently bought Gotham Knights, actually. But I haven't played it yet. And then I saw it was on a Black Friday deal for £20 cheaper than I paid for it, which really stings. Oh, but I haven't taken it away. out of its wrapping, so I'm tempted to just return it and then buy it again. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, I, I I go through those phases too, um, especially because, you know, like I said, I've got, I've got two young kids, so <laughs> gaming time yeah. is, is difficult uh, between, <laughs> between all the different jobs and then and the kids running around, so gaming can be really difficult. Um I'm kind of in, like, on the verge of one of those phases. If I had more time, I'd definitely be in one where I was. I've been playing on and off the um, the the new Yakuza game, like a dragon, uh, just kind of okay, like yeah. the, uh, the not necessarily a reboot, more like a relaunch with new characters of that series. Cool. I've never played any of those, but I've heard good things, and I know a few people that are super into them. So, yeah, yeah, they're fun, especially because I'm in Japan, so there are lots of things that if you live in japan you definitely um get a lot of the references that they th- they toss mm. in so that that's kind of that's that's a fun part too like going around and seeing like how they um how they make some of the different shops and how it looks just like a, a shop that actually exists but they change the name or something like that so <laughs> um it's a bit like grand theft auto in scotland even though it's never set in scotland there's always these references that you would only understand if you live in scotland oh really i didn't know that yeah, it's because their Rockstar offices are where I am, and actually in Edinburgh, so they that, have a lot of in jokes and that, nods to where it's actually made. Yeah, that makes sense. We had um, um, years back uh, there was a there was a Scottish girl who was uh, teaching in the area here where I live, and she's from Edinburgh too. And um, she had worked before she came out to teach. She was working as I think a tester for for Rockstar Games. So she had also pointed out that that connection before. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. yeah, it's a fun thing to look out for. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the cheats and PC ports are references to Scottish stuff. I know in San Andreas, the cheat to make it rain is Scottish summer, things like that. Okay. It's something that you immediately understand if you live in Scotland. Nice. Okay. It just rains all the time, basically. It's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so today we are talking about Superman versus the Elite, which was an um, animated movie based on one of my all-time favorite Superman stories. Um, it was a one-issue story, Action Comics number 77, 7075, by um, 
uh, Joe Kelly and drawn by Doug Monkey and Lee Bermejo. And the title of it, What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way. Uh, so before we talk too much about the details, because the, the story in the movie stays very close to what we see in the um, in the comic. Uh, they add some extra stuff to kind of pad out the running time, but, but basically it's the exact same story. Um, were you familiar with uh, this comic before you saw the movie? I knew it existed, but I hadn't read it. And then I saw the film and then went back to read the comic at some point later on. So it's one of those, oh yeah, I know about this story, I'd like to read it, and then they make the film before I get around to it. Mm-hmm. So what what's your opinion on the comic now? Let's start there as a, as a touchstone. I really liked it, and I think in terms of adaptation, picking something that's a single issue is actually really good because it means that you've got a really focused thing that you're adapting rather than trying to throw 50 things in at once. So if you're adapting a run, like when they did, say, the Flashpoint Paradox, which I do think is a really good animated film, but it's also trying to condense however many issues of story into a two-hour, or not even two hours, like hour and 20-minute film. So with this, it's just, I don't know, 22 pages, and they're trying to adapt that and then expand on it and things like that. But I thought the comic was really good, really interesting. I always like these stories that don't take the the premise of, say, Superman for granted, the, mm-hmm. the things that interrogate it and, and ask the questions about, well, what about if this happens? How do you deal with this situation if this happens? Because it's a major criticism of the character, isn't it? It's the, oh, he's too powerful, oh, he's too moral, oh, he doesn't kill his villains and all this stuff. And it's, it's usually the same arguments that anybody makes when they say, I don't like Superman. They'll say, but he's too powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, but you're, you're, you don't understand the character then. You... You don't get it. You don't get what he's about. And this is this comic and film is about what he's about. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that's one of the things that annoys me so much when they bring out the whole he's too powerful aspect is that, yeah, he, he's really powerful, but... Sorry, my cat found something okay. to press a button on. Okay, uh, sorry about that brief technical difficulties. But anyway, we're, we're back on. Um so yeah, that annoys me when people bring up the whole uh, he's too powerful aspect because, well, he's n- he is really powerful, but the way you challenge Superman isn't with power. It's with, you know, it's with going after the things he cares about, going after people. I mean, I think that was one of the things I really liked about... Oh, looks like he found it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move the thing. Hang on a sec. Uh, but yeah, so uh, like I was saying, one of my favorite scenes in... Um, Superman 2 is when uh, the the Kryptonians realize that it's the people he cares about and just, you know, throwing stuff at him isn't going to do much. So instead they start targeting the people. And that's when he, that's when you can see the pain on, on Christopher Reeve's face. That's what the things that, that hurts him. And I think that people who don't understand Superman, they don't really get that part of him. Yeah, definitely. And it's one of his core ideals. I think people accept it more with Captain America because he can be <laughs> because he can be hurt and he's generally no match for whoever he faces. Mm-hmm. You know, if anybody has more powers than he does, which is almost everybody, then there'll be a, a physical threat to him. Whereas with Superman, that doesn't happen very often. So his ethics and his morals are who he is and ultimately has to try and solve problems in ways that support them, which can be very difficult for him because he would be necessarily, he isn't tempted because he's tried it, he's done it for so long, but mm-hmm. 
he may be tempted to just, I'm just going to throw this guy into the sun because I can, right. and then that solves that problem immediately. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, his greatest villain is the one that has no powers whatsoever, but it's the one that he can't defeat just with his powers. That's kind of the, that's what always is interesting about Superman is those stories where his um, his powers aren't suited for the situation, but he has to he has to rely on his um, his intelligence, his ethics to to solve those problems, and which is exactly what happens in this story too. Um, so, uh, and for anyone who um, doesn't know, kind of the background of this story, this came out in um, uh, two thousand one. And at that time in comics, there was a there's a comic called The Authority that was really popular, published by Wildstorm, which now DC owns, and recently did a Superman and The Authority miniseries, which was um, <laughs> which is a really good read, written by by Grant Morrison. Uh, and that one, uh, The Authority, was you know basically imagine the Avengers or the Justice League, but they're willing to kill, and they're willing to kill anyone, like they're willing to kill to change the world. So you have this thing where they're going around and they're threatening world leaders to basically get their act together. And um, and the authority and the elite were kind of based on that, especially Manchester Black, who's the leader of the authority. And, you know, he's a um, uh, snarky British comic book character with a, with a Union Jack um, on his chest, uh, chain smoker in the comics. They don't have him doing it in the animated in the animated movie for obvious reasons. Um, and very much a riff on uh, Jenny Sparks, who was the, the the first leader and founder of the Authority. Very much the same thing, right? She always wore sh- shirts with the Union Jack. She was a chain smoker, very surly disposition. It's basically the um, the British wise ass that Warren Ellis puts in all of his books. That's basically a stand-in for himself. Yeah, and it's one of those things from what you were saying there that DC do quite often. They end up buying up sort of defunct comic companies mm-hmm. and repurposing the characters later. That's ultimately what happens with Watchmen, isn't it? The All these characters that were left lying around from acquisitions and they just, well, Alan Moore got to just make a story out of it. Yeah, sort of. Um, they kind of changed a little bit because originally, yeah, he had, DC had bought all those characters. They weren't doing anything with them. So Alan Moore came up with the story to use them, the uh, Charleston, I think it was. And then at the last minute, DC got cold feet and they said, well, we don't want to, we might want to use these characters for something else. So can you redo the story, but make them original characters instead? And so then that's how we ended up getting Watchmen. Yeah. And then later on, they do the bringing the Watchmen into the DC universe proper with the rebirth. Right. With rebirth and and, uh, Doomsday Clock. Yeah. Um, Which I actually kind of like Doomsday Clock. I'm, I know I'm in the extreme minority with that, but I thought it was an interesting. I didn't actually get all the way story. through it. I think I read the start of Rebirth where Wally West came back and things mm. like that, but I didn't really get too far into it. I just got waylaid by other things. Well, I mean, the Rebirth event itself it was so weird because they had they had this big Rebirth special and they had all the titles relaunch, and then it was like always hinting at stuff, but then nothing until Doomsday Clock, which had these perpetual delays on it. So it was. It was really kind of weird, and now by the, now it's all over, and they're kind of seems like they're wiping the slate clean again with with Dark Crisis. I don't know. I'm not. I don't read current stuff. I only read stuff as they come out in in trades and they get on sale. So, yeah, DC's classic. Let's do this for a few years and then just wipe it all away and start again. Yeah, That's the way they yeah. do things. You you, you, just, you get you get used to it as a as a DC reader. Um, yeah, but yeah, this was the 
um, and it was really kind of addressing that idea because a lot of people in comics media at the time, in the early 2000s, they were talking about the idea of, well, you know, why don't we have superheroes who kill? Why do we still have superheroes who hold on to this code that's, you know, a relic from the 1940s and the 1950s? And, um, and so Joe Kelly wrote this story as kind of a response to that, kind of a way to answer that question. Why should we have heroes who kill? And, and Joe Kelly also ended up writing the movie for this too. So I think it's, it's really fitting that he, he wrote them both. And he has that, that amazing speech that Superman gives at the end, which we'll probably dig into a little bit more as we go on. But he also has almost word for word directly from the comic. It's one of the, one of my favorite um, Superman speeches, but what's kind of your take on the whole superheroes killing side of things? It's a debate I'm pretty tired of, to be honest, because people talk about it as if there aren't any superheroes that kill. Even recently, The Rock was talking about as if Black Adam was going to be the first superhero who ever kills anybody, mm. which is just not the case. In the Marvel movies, Captain America definitely kills people. Oh, yeah. He fought in the war. So he's he's not going to have no blood on his hands in that. The Avengers kill people. Iron Man kills people. Ever in, in the MCU, people are just getting killed left and right, and they don't really moralize about it. They don't sit mm. and feel guilty about it necessarily. And it's something that just comes up every now and again. Spider-Man, for example, vehemently will not kill anybody. He will accidentally be responsible for their deaths by jumping out of the way of something or whatever, but mm -hmm. it's something he can resolve by himself. And I think the most interesting aspect of the debate that I saw recently was in Arrow, where you had Oliver Queen deciding, I'm not going to kill anymore. Mm -hmm. And then he ultimately changed to a bit of a it's going to it's going on a case-by-case -case basis here i'm mm. going to make this decision based on the situation at the time whether that decision is right or not is up for debate but at least he has a position on it and at least he understands that i'm not going to be able to get out of this non-lethally every single time so it's a bit of a tired debate because people keep bringing it up and they don't really bring up all of it they just ignore parts of it in order mm. to support their argument by these people I'm referring to, just people on the internet that keep bringing it up. But it's been reawakened because of The Rock and claiming that Black Adam's the first superhero ever killed. Yeah, I remember seeing that and I was wondering how many superhero movies Dwayne Johnson has actually watched. But um, <laughs> especially well, in Henry the Cavill's Superman kills. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was in yeah. that film. So <laughs> I mean, then um, that was one of the things that I had hoped they would follow up on in Batman v Superman. And we talked about this when we talked about uh, Man of Steel and, B and BBS and different episodes, but he, uh, but just to kind of briefly summarize here, it, you know, and, you know, he kills at the end of Man of Steel and you think, okay, well, from this point, he's going to kind of realize that he has to find a different way. But then opening scene, first time you see him in Batman v Superman, he liquefies a guy, <laughs> like he slams him through like several walls. <laughs> Yeah, but it's comic book logic. He'll be fine. Yeah. He'll just be knocked out after all that. Yeah. Um, and then Batman, you know, the whole I thought going in, the whole thing is going to be Batman's going to be like, you know, the conscience for Superman. But then he's, you know, he's riding around the Batmobile, you know, crushing cars and, you know, shooting machine guns and and shooting flamethrowers at people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a scene in, the, I think it's the extended cut, where he just directly machine guns a guy with a Batmobile. You see yeah. him getting shot and... He blows people up in the warehouse fight, things like that. So, yeah, that, that Batman's pretty bloodthirsty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you also bring up an interesting point, because that is one argument. 
Sorry, today's the day of um, interruptions and difficulties, folks. So we yeah. have to do these little yeah. brief uh, interludes. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, I was saying that in, you know, with the the Marvel stuff, you bring up an interesting point, and I realized this debate when the whole Snyderverse debate was kind of like at its at its peak of annoyance when um, everyone was saying uh, a lot of the defenders of Snyder's films were pointing out how, you know, Oh, well, you know, Iron Man kills people, Captain America kills people, and nobody's complaining about those. And the thing that stuck out to me about that is because uh, like you said, Cap's a soldier um, is, you know, one thing and uh, is that, you know, the Avengers don't really have a code against killing. It's never been an integral part of their characters. But in the, no. in the case of like Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, it is such a core part of the, Daredevil too. It's such a core part of their characters that I think when you take that code away, you, you lose something important about those characters. Yeah, it makes them less interesting because the thing about why doesn't Batman just kill the Joker? Well, in the Snyder movies, it's heavily implied that he did. So mm. that, I guess, solves that problem. But the whole point is that it's not up to Batman, Superman, whoever, to decide what kind of punishment these villains should get. That's up to society. They can bring them in because no one else can. But after that point, it's up to the legal system to make a decision on what to do with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And um, especially when you're talking about Superman, I mean, when he can solve every problem with and especially in, in the, you know, you mentioned Batman in the in the Snyder movies, you know, then you get the question of who is this Joker who is running around those movies then? Who's Jared Leto playing then if he's not? Yeah. If, if, if Batman's fine with killing regular street villains, then why is the Joker still running around? That it, it causes a huge problem in that, in the, in those movies, um, the logic of those movies. But with Superman too, it's, if he's going to just kill all these villains, you know, then it, then we do get into the problem of, you know, the fact that he, then the fact that he is so powerful does start to become a problem. Um, I don't know if you ever read Jeff Loeb's uh, Superman Batman series, but there's this one great scene in, um, I think, the Supergirl story when, um, and Loeb's narration of Batman and Superman perfectly is, is like perfect in those, in those early issues. It totally captures how Batman and Superman feel about each other. And one of the things Batman says is that, um, something, and I'm going completely off memory here, but he says something along the lines of, you know, Clark, you know, seems so, so human so much of the time, but then he shoots fire from his, from, from heaven, like, it, like a demon. And, and we all, and, um, and we all wonder how he can't be thought of as a God. And it's, we're so fortunate that he doesn't have that same thought. Yeah. And the Snyder movies do lean into that to some mm -hmm. degree. You've got a lot of godlike imagery associated with Superman and Batman v Superman when right. the people are trapped on the roof after a flood you see him silhouetted by the sun and things like that where yeah people look up to him and they will see an, an, an angel or a god mm. or something similar and it is an interesting modern problem because we do live in a more cynical time where someone like Superman wouldn't be as easily accepted as he might have been in the 1930s when everything was a little more innocent or right. somehow in the, the universe, the CW show inhabits where Supergirl is, yeah, it's fine. We're, we're not worried about her at all. Mm -hmm. it, she's a hero. We're happy to accept that. So mm -hmm. the cynicism and then how Superman or any virtuous hero stacks up against that cynicism is an interesting idea. And it's something that I wish the movies had to actually had the chance to play with. 
Yeah, that that's and, that is one of the things that always kind of annoys me about the movies that they present the cynicism side very well, and it's like, yeah, yeah, you got the cynicism side right, but let's see the other side now to that. Yeah, I think that was the plan though, but there was so much course correcting going on. Mm-hmm. While they were making the things, because oh, people aren't liking this thing, so better not commit to the idea that we had. Mm-hmm. Let's just change it on the fly, even though it will be obvious that we're changing it on the fly. And then you get the Joss Whedon Justice League, which is just a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I did appreciate the the Superman in the the Whedon cut a little bit more because he felt more like Superman from the comics, right? Cavill was allowed to be a little bit more charming. He was allowed to, you know have a little bit more humor in his delivery. And so it felt more like Superman to me that as opposed to... The Without design. earning it, though, that was the problem. You never well, saw yeah. him get to that point. It was just, oh, now he's this. Yeah, but... And we we'll had, just um, go from here. I, we'd gotten so much of the dark Superman at that point, I was just so relieved to get the one I recognize. <laughs> <laughs> so even oh, yeah, though it was great it was to com- see, but yeah. 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 I, I wish we'd seen him actually develop to that point over a couple of films rather mm-hmm. than... Oh no, he's just this. This is it. That's him. Right. Ignore okay. what you've seen before. Don't so let's um, so let's dive into the movie then. Um, I I you know I, I this was one that one of those DC movies that I was there are a few DC movies that I get really excited about when they're announced. Um, one of them was Dark Knight Returns. Uh, and uh, Death of Superman was another one. And this one was another one that got me really excited when they first announced it uh, because, like I said, I love this story. Uh, what was kind of your feeling the first time you watched it? And um, how about on the rewatch? Anything else? Uh, any any changes in uh, ideas? Anything new that you realize uh, on the rewatch? I have always enjoyed it. I've watched it a few times over the years. It's just something that I go back to now and again. And pretty much my feeling about it is the same as it was that first time. I do think the ending is a bit rushed. I think mm-hmm. the elite becoming villains, it doesn't happen organically. It just there, There's a point where they're now villains. And then the the story goes from there. And then the ending is a bit unsophisticated, I think the, the word is I'll use, because it's not that Superman proves his point by defeating them. He just defeats them, and then everything's back to normal. He hasn't really learned anything, or no one's really learned anything. It's just, I've stopped these people, and then that's it. It's not that he stands up to them with his morals and proves them wrong, and, and everyone supports them or anything like that. He just uses all his bag of tricks to take away their powers and trick them and things like that. So I think the ending could have been punched up a bit to be a bit more connected to the theme. I feel like they did in a way with the, with the son, because, um, you know, the, the guy who watches the blazing skull kill his father and his father was, you know, supportive of Superman's way. And his son was all into the elite. And he even tells the elite, tells Superman, tells the elite to kill the blazing skull. And then at the end, you know, when Superman <clears throat> goes dark, you know, or appears to be going dark, and then the suit, the sun comes in, he's like, no, you you taught us there's a better way. It's a little bit, I will give you that it is a little bit rushed, um, but I think that it they do make an attempt, I thought, at least. Yeah, there is an attempt, and he's sort of becoming the worst thing that he can be mm-hmm. to prove a point as well, as in he's turning into that thing that everyone fears that he could become. And he's sort of holding up a mirror to them as well by saying, this is what you've become. Yeah. Again, it's, that doesn't make the point as clearly as it could. It's not as clear as it could. Yeah. Maybe it's just because I've read the story so much that the point keeps, is very obvious to me now, but, um, but I can see how on a first viewing, uh, 
that point may not be as clear to a lot of people. So that's a, that's a fair point. Um, I still love that speech though. That speech is just is just so perfectly Superman and encapsulates everything I love about the character in the in that speech. Yeah, George Newborn, perfect mm. voice for Superman. He's the voice I still hear when I read the comics. Yeah, he's the the one from uh, yeah. He did it in Justice League, taking over from uh, from Tim yeah. Daly. Tim Daly was good as well, but uh, for some reason George Newborn is in my mind more. Maybe it's because I saw the Justice League show before I saw the Superman show. Probably, yeah. Um, I don't really have a... Like, both of them are good. I love them both, but none of them... No voice has really stood out to me as quintessentially Superman in the way that, you know, Kevin Conroy stood out as quintessentially Batman. Yeah, they keep rotating the casting in the more recent films as well. Right, yeah. Um... There are a few that were pretty good, though. Uh, but yeah, Tim Daly and George Newbern were definitely um, definitely up there as being very, very good voices for him. Uh, Robin Atkin Downs as um, uh, Manchester Black, too. I mean, I thought he perfectly captured that character. Yeah, I think they're doing a bit funny business with the accents, mm-hmm. the Manchester accents in the, the film as well. It's They're very exaggerated, which fits a comic book thing, but... I guess it's for me, having met people from Manchester and been to Manchester, I'm just thinking, that's nah, not quite there. But <laughs> I guess for a predominantly American audience, it'll do. It's a weird English accent, that'll do. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is also just kind of like, you know, maybe Downs poking, because Downs is an English actor. So I wonder how much of that is him kind of poking fun at that aspect of American comic books where they'll kind of like overwrite the English accents of characters or the ca- accents of any characters anyway. Yeah, it could be. And then you had David Ajala playing him in Supergirl as well. He had a much more natural accent, although I think the handling of the this story in Supergirl wasn't all that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember um, him appearing, and that was when I was kind of like losing interest in Supergirl, so I'm not, I can't even really remember what really happened with Manchester Black. But I remember being excited at the time and then just kind of like not really remembering much afterwards. <laughs> He was motivated by grief in Supergirl. Mm-hmm. It was human first right, yeah. terrorist his, his girlfriend, his girlfriend. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Um, what do you think about the animation style? Because that's one of the things that kind of jumps out to me. I like a lot of the animation in it. I think it's very fluid, but I don't really like the, the Superman design they did for, for this model. He's a bit similar to the animated show slash Justice League version, isn't it, with a prominent chin and mm-hmm. things like that. But it's, I don't mind it. I guess I'm used to that style for Superman. And I think it works really well. There's a good combination of sort of traditional animation and CG. Mm-hmm. And I think the CG is blended pretty seamlessly because sometimes in these things where they do some traditional animation for some of it, and then here's a CG element. You see the CG element and it's, it's as jarring as it looks when it's bad blue screen in a, you know, in a live action movie. Oh yeah. But in this, I think, I mean, you can tell when they've changed it up a bit, but it's not distracting. Yeah, the actual animation itself I liked, but it was the, um, the main thing was just that that Superman design. It just it felt like it felt a little bit too cartoony for this story. It felt a little bit too exaggerated with the, the chest and the chin. Um, I. I think, it, and also just my personal bias, I prefer a much more lean Superman as opposed to the the bulkier one. So that's also um, 
that could also be playing into it too. He stands out more when he's Clark Kent with that style rather than a Superman, I think. Right. I actually like it more when he's Clark Kent. When he when he's dressed as Clark Kent, I think it actually it works pretty well. But when he's Superman, I, maybe it's just because of the the costume and everything. It just seems to accentuate everything I don't like about it. Yeah, fair enough. It doesn't really bother me, but yeah, as Clark Kent, it didn't bother me, but it stood mm. out. It's one of those. How is anybody falling for this? Look at this yeah. giant man that just works in an office. I did. Le- I really liked the design they went with for Lois Lane, though. I thought it was. It, it, it seemed like, especially in that um, that suit she's wearing at the end, the purple, um, the pur- with the purple skirt. It kind of reminded me of the the animated series look too. Yeah. And I forget who voices are in this, so it's not someone that ever did it again, I don't think. Or no, it's it uh, Polly Perrette. Okay. Um, yeah, they've, they've had a few Loises over the years, including once Alexandra Daddario. She was in one of them. Yeah, I mean, it, it always comes back to... Dane Delaney did it perfectly for me I, in, in the animated series. Like You talk about characters who actors who perfectly captured that character's voice. That was definitely Dana Delaney for me with Lois Lane. Yeah, she was a great Lois. Uh, with the most recent film they released, the Battle of the Super Sons one, it was uh, Laura Bailey who voiced her in that. She's a really prominent voice actor. I actually, plug for myself, interviewed her for 10 minutes. Oh, okay. In conjunction with that film, it was really cool speaking to her because she's done everything. She's <laughs> she's done the, the two prominent Spider-Man love interests. She's voiced both MJ and Gwen at different points. Oh, okay. So I haven't yeah. seen uh, the, the, the Super Sons movie yet, so... It's pretty good. It's um, that's got a really cool animation style. Okay, um, yeah, and the guy they got from uh, you know Fred Tadasiori, I remember thinking like the that voice as as Perry White. He he did an awesome job as Perry White too. I felt. Yeah, I can't really fault the voice cast here at all. The voice of Jonathan Kent. He is a Colonel Campbell from Metal Gear Solid. You can oh, hear it immediately okay. in his voice. I didn't even pick up on that. I, I'm I'm so bad picking up on that a lot of times. And people will say like, "Didn't you?" He's putting on his like Kansas twang, but you yeah, can, when when you know it's him, you can hear it. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at that. Pay attention to that next time. But yeah, <laughs> the animation style was an interesting choice too, because especially at this time with a lot of these types of DC animated movies that were based on comics, they they really made an effort to kind of match the animation style with the. Um, with the style of artwork that was used in the comic story, but they definitely didn't do that here. Right. They definitely went for, you know, basically something completely different from the comic story. what do you think about that decision? I wonder if they were trying to match the animated shows that Superman had been in because that's what people would be familiar with. Because mm-hmm. I noticed with the DC animated ones, they seem to do Batman and Superman stories most often and the occasional Wonder Woman. Then they might throw in a Green Lantern here and there, but they focus on, Predominantly those two, mm-hmm. which is kind of disappointing because I'd like to see a really good anyone, <laughs> any third tier character because it's an animated film. You're not expecting it to do huge business. So why not just see what you can do with lesser known characters? But right. I wonder if the decision was to try and match what people might be familiar with, with the animated shows that were on. Because there was the same idea with Superman Doomsday Right, similar yeah. enough to the animated show, and that was the I think the first major one they did. That was I seem to remember them making a lot of noise about it. It's like look who we've got voicing everybody, and look how much money we're putting into this and whatever. Yeah, that was kind of a letdown, actually, as I remember. 
Um, yeah, well, they had to do it again, didn't they? <laughs> well, yeah, they, then they've actually actually did do an an accurate Death of Superman, which was when and that was when they were trying to do the whole animated movie verse type of thing, where they had everything was based on the New Fifty Two designs, which I thought was a yeah. weird choice because you've got the the um, shared universe in the DCU, you've got it on Arrow. You don't really need to have an animated shared universe too. You can just use the animation for stories that you can't tell in those other ones. So that's why I think going with stories like this or like um, Dark Knight Returned, All-Star Superman, those are stories that you can't really tell with those shared universes. So it's a good it's a good place to do them in animation instead. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's something that you can just take an arc that's out there and play with it or right. whatever. But they seem to do it every now and again where these four films are connected to each other, however loosely and mm-hmm. whatever else. I think the current run is supposed to be loosely connected in some way. I know they've got Legion of Superheroes coming out next year, right. which I think is loosely connected to Super Sons. Yeah, and also um, Long Halloween and um, uh, The Flash and the Green Lantern movies, those are all, and Superman, Man of Tomorrow, those are all all kind of connected to, together. Because you have that, that yeah. scene at Long Halloween where Flash and green arrow show up at wayne manor at the end yeah so the i don't think they're being too strict with the connecting to each other and i know that these films in a way are supposed to be connected in it almost to the animated shows as well they're supposed to be continuation from the justice league show Mm -hmm. even though they aren't yeah they both are and aren't right um what do you think of the changes they made to here? Like, for example, they brought in the the Blazing Skull subplot. They um they bring in the whole thing about the um. Uh, I'm not. I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure if the Pakolasan stuff was in the original comic book. I'm just checking here in the summary. I, I meant to reread the comic, but I didn't have enough time. Um, I haven't read it in a long time, so I don't remember what's not there and what isn't. <laughs> what yeah, is, I but, don't think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's uh, there's um. There's a group of alien invaders, but that's about it. There's it doesn't see anything about uh, Pakistan or anything like that in here. So, what do you think of? I think it's a better. I think it's a better idea to make it more domestic. It makes a point more, more strongly that Superman should have boundaries. He can't be getting involved in political stuff. He can't just fly into a country and dismantle their army and say, "Well, the U.S. won now." Mm -hmm. It's something that he has no jurisdiction over it's things like atomic skull that's a problem he can solve because it's a super powered problem and just dealing with whatever he deals with so i like the idea that superman will draw the line somewhere and i think you have to make a more earthbound problem in order to support that so atomic skull is a great example he's a great case study for what the film is about Mm -hmm. because their first fight it creates so much collateral damage and the non-lethal approach that he takes means that it's just going to keep happening because it's only a matter of time before the guy gets out of prison, before Lex Luthor decides to create another super team of evil villains and mm-hmm. lets him out and then more damage is caused. And it's the point of, well, if you kill him, he won't be able to do that. And Superman's point is, yeah, but that's not my decision. I'm not going to kill him. I'm going to give him to you guys and then you can kill him if you want. It's up to you. I'm not Right. There. Yeah, That. that's... Yeah, I, th- I agree with you. I think putting in the, um, adding the political stuff adds a whole new dimension to it because you, I mean, you know, it's Pakolistan and Bialya, so they're, they're, sta- you can j- they're just fake countries you can stand in for any, yeah. you know, 
you know, North Korea and South Korea, you know, China and Taiwan. Yeah. Like you could stand at any, any DC. Russia and Ukraine right now, right? Anything you, you want, you can put as a stand in there, Iran and Iraq and or Israel and basically the whole Middle East. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you could put in any two countries there and the, the same arguments would be, you'd have basically the same arguments, right? This idea of, okay, well, these people are clearly abusing their, their, um, you know, their roles, they're, they're abusing their own people, they're, they're just after power. And so then it, it does pose an interesting ethical question. Well, if you're someone like Superman, why shouldn't you just, you know, stop them from doing that? Why only go after the supervillains or the, um, or the, the super terrorists? Why not go after these, you know, these, these despots? Oh, I'm sorry. I think um, I think part of me may have gotten disconnected there a minute ago. Yeah, there was a there was a blip. So yeah, that that poses the question of you know why would he only deal with these superpowered threats? Why wouldn't he go after these these despots? And I think that's uh that's an interesting qu- question that's being posed there. I think with Superman, it's a bit more complicated as well because he does at that point anyway identify as an American citizen. He mm-hmm. renounced it sometime after that, didn't he? I know there was. A story where he said, "I don't want to be an American citizen anymore. I want to be a right. world citizen," which means that he gets to pick and choose even more what he wants to mm-hmm. do or what he doesn't want to do. But in this case, his American citizenship isn't really brought up, although the American way is. Mm-hmm. And I know that since been dropped because it's somewhat shameful, isn't it? The the whole idea of the American way and how corrupted it's been since the ever basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's never really been what it is or mm-hmm. what it's supposed to be. But then you have. Characters like Captain America who stand for what America is supposed to stand for. Right. So that's a way you get around it. In the case of Superman, you just drop the the, the description entirely right. and he stands for something else or he stands for truth, justice, and I forget what it is, a better tomorrow or the something new like one that. Is, yeah, the new one, the John yeah. Kent one is, is truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. But in fact, the original yeah. one, it was just truth and justice. The American way yeah. thing was added, I believe, by the George Reeve series. Um, okay. So, yeah, I mean, the original idea was, I mean, you know, Siegel and Schuster being, you know, young Jewish guys from uh, from poor backgrounds, they they knew what the American way was. They dealt with anti-Semitism. They saw like the rise of fascism coming in America. And so they knew what the American way was. I don't think they would have wanted that. <laughs> I think they're that's why they went with truth and justice. And if you read some of those original Superman stories, you know. He, he doesn't hold back. Like he's going after politicians. He's going after slumlords. He's going after, after white yeah. feeders. He's, and he's chucking them off rooftops basically. <laughs> but at the same time, Superman's not part of the military, right? So they can't tell him what to do. Right. He's a good Samaritan. He flies in and he deals with whatever he decides to deal with, mm-hmm. which is arguably being a vigilante, but I don't think he gets scrutinized for vigilante justice in the same way that Batman does. Right. Because he's a nice guy and Batman's not a nice guy. Mm-hmm. So, that that's how he gets away with it, I suppose. So it's not his responsibility to fly in and dismantle armies because the US government told him so. Mm-hmm. They do it quite well in Superman and Lois, actually, in the or they start to, at least, in the second season where he's working with the military guy, Anderson, I think his name is, that mm-hmm. he doesn't get along with. And it's, I'm helping you out because I choose to, so therefore you can't tell me what to do. Right. And you can see why the military would be a bit upset about that. They would mm. be a bit funny about it because... Well, he's only helping us with some stuff. That's not good. But we've got this stuff here. And I think this film is really harsh on America as well. You've got the 
the bit on the talk show, the news talk show, whatever it is, where the guy says, I'm American, we're the good guys. And it's such an empty-headed justification mm-hmm. that's as if it's designed to just solve the argument while actually saying nothing. It's like, but we're American, so therefore we win. Okay, why? And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm admittedly very biased because I'm very, I'm a very progressive guy, but I, I've, I personally, I thought that it was, you know, justifiably harsh on America in, in this movie. Yeah, same. I mean, I'm in the UK where politics is a global laughing stock at the moment. <laughs> and yeah, I would love a superhero like Superman to fly in and say, you are all idiots. Let's mm. dismantle this. Or you should really think about this. But obviously it's not going to happen because Superman doesn't exist. But yeah, and this, I think the just the display of the, the politics without Superman being involved speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought, yeah, that, that scene with Manchester Black too, when he goes to and he, he takes out the leaders of Bialya and Pakolasan and and the way he said and he the when when he says to the world you know you know best to just throw throw them out and start over fresh like if and I think that it's a good on one hand you can understand where he's coming from you can understand the idea but on the other hand too you know he is imposing his own more like yeah this time he's taken out the right people but what happens next time when he takes out the wrong people just because he says so. And I think that's a that's an interesting debate that the movie brings up too, is this idea and of how far does altruism, when you're going down this idea of killing people out of altruism because they're the bad people, what happens when they're people you don't like, but they're otherwise not bad? And how, and how does he get to decide that as well? What gives him the right to make that decision? Right. Because we've seen it in well, the, the more recent conflict in the Middle East, where it's mm. essentially the US going after the people they installed. Exactly. helped yeah. install in the previous time that they got involved. Yeah. And it's, well, you, you just have no way of predicting how these things go. These are arguably internal problems, unless they're threatening things on a global scale, which in this case they weren't. They were only threatening each other. Mm-hmm. So it was no one's right to really get involved, at least at that point. But obviously the... United States can't stay away from a fight that mm-hmm. they think they should be involved in, especially when there's natural resources involved. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it, no clearer example of that than with Bush talking about you know Saddam Hussein and things he was doing to his people, which all very accurate, all all very bad stuff. But at the same time, there's massive human rights abuses going on. They had a whole crisis going on, a human rights crisis happening in the Sudan at the same time. Bush wasn't saying anything about that or yeah. even U.S. allies like Saudi Arabia who are, you know, fucking brutal, but nobody's, <laughs> but they're, they're fine. You know, Joe Biden goes and fist bumps him. Yeah. Or even on your own soil. Yeah, Try exactly. Looking inward first. Right. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, the U.S. prison complex, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And <clears throat> that hypocrisy angle too. That's, that's another good point. Um, especially the fact that, you know, the, that talk show host guy who's very much like a Bill O'Reilly type or, or Sean Hannity yeah. type saying like, you know, well, we're Americans, we're the good guys. I'm just like, well, you know, if this guy was going after, if the elite turned his sights on the U.S. president, you probably wouldn't be saying that. Although it probably depends on who the U.S. president is at the time. Yeah, but there's a real possibility they could end up doing that. And it wouldn't have really happened in this continuity necessarily, mm-hmm. but there could have been a point where people had the same concerns about Superman. But at least with Superman, you know where you stand. And 
the implication is he had to work really hard to get to win people's trust. Mm. And he did that by just being himself, being that ethical rock, always standing for the same things, never killing people, always making sure that people are brought to justice and they get to go through the justice system. And that ends up eventually fostering trust. People will rely on Superman at that point. When they see him, they won't be afraid. Whereas with the elite, there's a bit of a honeymoon period where it's, yeah, this is great. They're killing villains and we're a bit safer as a result. But eventually, well, not even eventually, it happens very quickly where they do become a bit more fascistic. It will be suddenly, mm-hmm. well, we used to like these guys and now they're holding us to ransom because they can. And right. Superman never did that. And he spent a long time proving that he wasn't going to do that. There's a, a famous uh, tweet memeing the um, conservative reactions to, to Trump after Wilds. It was like something like, um, you know, I didn't think they would eat my face, says the woman who voted for the leopards eating people's faces party. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the, the, the sort of micro thinking that people in, in, engage in. And so yeah. they're not coming after me, but by the time they come after you, there'll be no one else to no one left to stop. Right, right. They're going after, quote unquote, the bad people. So I'm okay with yeah. that. Yeah. Which is always what happens with fascism. It's eventually, they always need some bad person, bad group of people to go after. And eventually they're going to have to target your group. That's exactly what happens every single time. And yet people yeah. don't learn. Um, which, you know, I think what you're talking about there with, with the politics aspect, I think I kept thinking in my head, what might've been an interesting alternate version of this and a way to drive home this is because at this time in the comics, Lex Luthor was president of the United States. And that's something they didn't do in the com- the original comic. That's something they didn't do in this movie. You know, Luther's not even, I don't even think he's even mentioned at all in this movie. Um, no, he's not. No. But that might have been an interesting way to explore this aspect. Instead of Pakalistan and Bialya, maybe have the elite going after Lex Luthor as president because of the things the U.S. is engaged in, maybe military action in one of those two countries. And then that would have made it an even more personal thing for Superman, because now not only does he have to stop these, you know, these borderline fascistic superheroes from imposing their own will, but he's got to save his greatest enemy too. Yeah. And I haven't read many stories for Lex as president, so I don't really know what the relationship Superman has with President Lex. I only really know from that, <clears throat> from those Justice League episodes that are set in the alternate universe where mm-hmm. Superman just goes and kills Lex Luthor because he's had enough. Right. And then he ends up being a dictator after that point. So I don't really know what goes on there, whether Lex is actually, quote unquote, a good president, whether he talks a good game or not. So it was pretty good. Best they left it alone for this. Yeah, it was it was a really good um, it was a really good run. It was one of my favorite depictions of of Luther in the comics was when he was as president. And it was it was during this run in the comics that Joe Kelly and Jeff Loeb were doing. There's also a really good issue of Adventures of Superman by uh, by Joe Casey that had Luther asking Superman to go on this mission to to rescue someone from a foreign country and it dealt a and again a lot of stuff packed in there I think and Casey and Kelly actually worked together on the Man of Action um, TV writing team so I think it would have been really cool if they had worked together on this too and if they had combined aspects of that story in with the the elite story yeah. It could be interesting. I know that 
Smallville's Lex Luthor would eventually become president, mm-hmm. but I don't know what he would be like either. But yeah, the, the idea of Lex Luthor being president is possibly something worth revisiting in comics now as well, especially with the whole Donald Trump angle and things like that. I think it's it could be an interesting one to play with again, but it's I think it's best they didn't bring it up in this story. Mm. The Justice League also aren't mentioned because it's a, a purely a Superman story. Right. Which I thought was an interesting choice because it's the same thing in the original comic. There's not really, I don't think there's any real men overt appearances by the Justice League in that either. But it did strike me as kind of a, a curious omission because there are these little references made to other superheroes. But we never see their reactions at all to what the elite is doing. And I felt like maybe that was kind of a missed opportunity. Maybe because if you're going to be referencing these other heroes, then it might have been good to at least have like a cutaway with a, you know, a TV interview or someone asking like Wonder Woman or, or or the Flash what they thought about the elite. I think it would have been an interesting other side to present an other side to that argument. It's always a problem with shared universes, isn't it? There's it is, always yeah. the question of why isn't such and such involved in this story? Mm-hmm. It's a problem constantly in the Arrowverse. It's okay, you've got this villain that can sap metahuman powers, and Oliver's dealing with something else over in Star mm-hmm. City. So why not swap villains? It seems right. to make sense that you could just swap villains. But the it's the conceit of storytelling, isn't it? This right. is a Superman yeah. story, so therefore no one needs to be involved. There's references to Wayne Enterprises, I think. You see that on a billboard or something like that. Right. There's a reference to the Martian Manhunter as well. And yeah. the yeah. elite talk about, you know, if any of your other friends come along, come after us or something like that. So so there are all these little references. So I think that's why I think it it, it feels a little... I think if you're going to do this movie, I think it may have been better to just make it so that Superman and the elite are the only superheroes in this universe. I think that would have made it made that argument make a little bit more sense because as it stands it feels like the other heroes are being kind of cowardly by not at least saying something yeah i suppose you can explain that way by the rest of the justice league are off on battle world or something like that they're, yeah they're doing something else yeah um that was just something that was jumping out to me on uh this rewatch uh one of the things one of the things i did really like too was clark going to to pa for for counseling because like i've I've always been kind of like a mixed opinion on whether or not the his parents should be alive because I do love that scene in Superman the movie when um, when Jonathan dies and then Clark realizes that he's not a god because even though he has all these powers, he can't save his father from a heart attack. And yeah. that's such a humanizing moment for Clark. And it's one of the things I actually, I love, it's one of my favorite scenes in that movie. But at the same time, you get scenes like this where he goes to Jonathan for counsel and, you know, and Jonathan kind of, you know, lays it all out for him. And I, I like that we see these moments when Clark's vulnerable and he's questioning his, his ethics, you know, am I, do I fit in, in this, in this new world and all that. And I think, and yeah, I love what Jonathan says to him in that moment. Uh, What about you? What's, what's, what was your take on that? With his parents, it's usually one of them that's dead, isn't it? Mm. There's, they're never both around. Or not never, but like the new adventures of Superman are both, and various continuities have both of them around as well. But the Jonathan Kent dying is the most common one that I've right. seen. Happens in the Superman movie, happens in Smallville, happens in Superman and Lois, and it happens in Man of Steel, although under much more ridiculous circumstances. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and well, now watching it after I've seen Batman and V Superman, it's actually a very similar 
moment when he goes to ask Martha for advice in Batman v Superman. Mm-hmm. It's the idea of you have to make your own choices about what to be for these people and you just have to be true to yourself and nothing else. And I like how it's, yeah, everyone in Smallville seems to love the elite, but it'll pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're a classic. It's And it's um, things like, what's it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, is one of the mm-hmm. things I noted down that his father says to him. It's the idea of there's nothing wrong with your morality and people just need to see that. And It's an interesting overall argument, I think, about the whole morality thing because Superman is just going to live well and and show people a better way. Mm. But he has privilege in a way because he will live long enough to see that play out over a long period of time. So Mm. he can wait for that change and he can wait for it to happen on its own. But regular people don't have that luxury. People want change like right now. They want to feel safe right now. It's no... It would do no good to tell people, oh, yeah, in 100 years, this will all be great if things keep going the way they are because the people there right now won't see it, but Superman will. So there is a bit of privilege from his position in that way. That's not something that's directly brought up in that conversation, but quite like the idea of just, well, yeah, it's it's all well and good, you waiting for change to happen, but we we can't because we, we, have to, we have to live and we have to die. And, yeah. You know, yeah, I thought, uh, and Manchester even kind of, the movie references that too, when Manchester talks about how, look, you're you're Superman, you're invulnerable, you don't have to worry about this stuff, but the rest of us, yeah, we know what it's like to be scared. And, you know, he makes a good point that, yeah, you don't know what it's like to be scared, so it's very easy for, and like you said, this is a, this is a point of privilege that, that Clark doesn't quite realize he has, and I don't think he ever really quite completely reckons with that idea either no and i suppose he'll never have to because it's not as if he'll have his power taken from him and he has to deal with the the fact that the world is rubbish and he'll have to be a direct victim of that you you get better that in superman too where he just gets beaten up by someone Mm. who's just not very nice right but that's not really going to happen here there will be stories where he loses his powers and has to reckon with the fact that he's mortal but it never lasts more than a issue or two right right um, so what do you think about the, the Clark and Lois relationship, the way that was handled? I always love seeing it when it's so lived in mm-hmm. because as much as I like the, they're working at the daily planet and she doesn't know who he is and he's always disappearing. That gets a bit tiresome after a while, but I always like it when they're a power couple, really. Mm. They, they support each other. They rib on each other. I love how natural the relationship is because he's always putting on a persona as Clark Kent to other people, mm-hmm. but with her, he gets to be entirely himself. And to the public, he's Superman, which is a different persona. But with Lois, he's just himself. Yeah. And it'd be the same with his dad as well. When he goes home at Smallville, he can just be himself. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Um, my favorite depiction of their relationship is Superman and Lois. And I think that, that does a, it does a really good job of showing that idea and showing how they support each other and how they still have issues that they have to deal with, even after they've been together for so long. I mean, that was one of the things that I think you know, Lois and Clark kind of lost sight of when um, once they got together, it just a lot of that, that fun, that tension in their relationship just seemed to be sucked right out. And it didn't seem like the writers really knew how to write a married couple, but, but here you're right. They, they challenge each other. They're, um, you know, she supports him, but she's also, she's also her own person too, right? She's also, you know, doing her own thing and exploring her own leads and, and all of that stuff. So I thought they did a really good job of 
you know, it's, it's a very brief, only very brief touches, but I'm glad that they kept that from the comic story. The fact that this is a Lois who is married to him, who knows that he's Superman, who he can actually confide in as opposed to the more accepted one in most of the, up until this time, most of the mainstream productions was where she doesn't know that Clark and Superman are the same person. Yeah. And then there's even a point in the film where she starts questioning the lethal tactics stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's only for a second, but it's something about, do you wish the terrorists were dead? And she says, oh, right now I do, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just kind of this, well, wow, she's not, she's wavering on, on her perspective here. And that that's just interesting because that makes her human. And you've got, and everything that Clark is in this film is just, no, I can't compromise my principles. I shouldn't compromise my principles. Mm. I'm, I'm being left behind by this world. And he keeps sticking to them. And, he, and there's this point where just Lois is thinking, you know what? Maybe, maybe sometimes you could just kill people. <laughs> and mm. he doesn't know what to do with it. Again, they don't bring it up necessarily, but it's just something he's sitting there thinking about. It isolates him in a yeah. way for the rest of the film because it's, well, even Lois isn't 100% on my side here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a, it, it's a great reaction there too. I, I completely forgot about that moment, but you're right that because it makes sense that I can't remember if there was any, again, it's been so long since I read the comic book. I can't remember if they had that same idea, her challenging him in that way, but it works really well here is just like this, this one small moment where, and it makes sense too, right? Obviously she's, you know, she's a reporter who's always, she's this investigative reporter who's always put in these dangerous situations. So and she's always ha- been a bit harder than Clark too, so it makes sense that she would have these moments where she thinks, "Well, maybe, maybe sometimes this way doesn't work, and maybe there are sometimes we have to take things a little bit further." So it makes sense that she would have those moments to think about that. Whereas Clark, you know, but again, going back to his whole privilege thing, he would he would always have that privilege of being able to say, "There's another way. I can find another way." Well, yeah, you're Superman. Of course, you can. Yeah. But how many people will be killed as collateral damage while you're finding that other way? There's right. the question. Um, so last thing I wanted to talk about kind of was the, the title. I kind of feel like the title is a little bit underwhelming, just Superman versus the Elite. I think it would have been maybe a better title if they had just gone with like Superman, Truth and Justice or something like that. Something more connected to the original story title. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not sure why they titled it that way because it does undersell what the film's about. I mean, it is about him in conflict with this team, but you don't know what the elite is, mm-hmm. so you're getting drawn in by Superman. Right. But what's he doing? He's just fighting another villain team? Do I watch that? I don't know. It's it's not a very appealing title. The actual title of the comic would have probably been a bit long-winded, maybe. That, yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. I'm like, you, you can't really call it what's so funny about Truth, Justice, and the American Way. That's a very... That's a mouthful for a, for a movie title. Yeah. But so I was thinking like, if you just call it truth, justice in the American way, or, you know, my personal, cause they, they referenced that phrase specifically. So I think that would, that would work. Um, yeah. Although perfectly, I would just say truth and justice would be better. Yeah. I think that's probably a good show. It's just one of those generic titles, isn't it? It's Superman mm-hmm. versus the thing. It almost makes it seem a bit pulpy actually. It does. Yeah. If you think about back in the sort of forties where it's, such and such versus the people from Mars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, was there any, anything else you wanted to mention about this movie, Craig? I think those are kind of the biggest things I'd wanted to touch on. It, one thing I really like is the 
the parody almost version of Superman, the cartoon oh, yeah. for kids. And the, the fact that he's branded himself, he's he owns the copyright of himself, mm-hmm. but he donates all the proceeds to charity. I think that's a great way of getting around that idea of why aren't all superheroes millionaires profiting off the merchandise of themselves? Right. And they touched on that in Ultimate Spider-Man, where the Kingpin bought all the intellectual property rights to spider-man mm-hmm. so he was going to profit over all the merchandise he was producing mm-hmm. off spider-man but the i like the idea that superman owns the copyright of himself but donates all all charity he could be a millionaire but he's not yeah i think that's something that they did in the comics first um i could be wrong though but um but yeah that that's a i remember there there was one story in this era of superman comics that where um where a character comes in and starts selling branded merchandise and then um and lois tells him he's like you know what you know what's better than superheroes is super villains so why don't you sell some super villain me- merchandise instead and he's like oh that's a good idea <laughs> and then the super villains come calling <laughs> and then he stops after that yeah well you don't have any super villains anymore because all you do is all they do is sell toys of themselves mm-hmm. and they don't need to rob banks anymore because yeah. they're just millionaires um yeah any, any other things that um you want to mention here no, I think I got through most of my notes here, by the looks of things. I just had to get the intellectual property thing in, because I, I love that idea. I love these little real-world things mm. that rub up against superhero stuff. It's, what about the branding, though? That's you know Who owns the copyright on these things? I think the Marvel movies get around it by, it's just Tony Stark. He's right. taking out copyrights on everybody, probably, but... Well, I think it, they also you don't really get that elsewhere. They also tie it into the the overall theme of the movie too. When when um you know she asks him about you know what about creative control and he's and he just kind of like did I mention it's all for charity, and and she tells him <laughs> you know you've got to protect your s you've got to protect your branding you know you've got to protect yeah. what you stand for and that you know that ends up being kind of like the overall theme of this whole movie. Yeah, he has an ironclad contract. It's mm-hmm. not to worry about. He's just not going to make any money out of it. Right. Which I think is funny because I wouldn't be that upstanding. No. If I was super bad, I would, I'd, I'd take my percentage. I would oh, donate yeah. some of it to charity, but I would take enough to live a very comfortable life. Oh yeah, where I didn't absolutely. have to. Yeah, but he's at the Daily Planet because he enjoys it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So that that's what it is. Uh, the, and the movie also poses some, you know, in a in a subtler form, it also touches on these ideas of, you know government action like with um with the uk basically creating manchester black and these other and the elite too and having their you know this whole idea of you know using bad guys to fight to fight our wars for us and like kind of and again that whole idea that you'd mentioned before of america creating bigger problems that they then have to go in and 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 fix 20 years later it's kind of the same idea here in a way yeah that's a bit rushed as well that Here's his origin story. We're going to spend a good two or three minutes explaining his origin story and then just a hand wavy line later on. Oh yeah, that was all nonsense. It's all rubbish. His sister's alive. It's all fine. Uh-huh. He's he's just making it up for some reason. And then you have that lobotomized interdimensional creature and all that stuff. It's just, it throws a lot of lore at you very quickly and <laughs> towards the end of the film. Right. Yeah. That was, it was another, and that's another aspect that would have been nicer to touch on this whole idea of where Bunny comes from and the, and it's kind of, you know, breeze past that whole idea of well, we gave her a lobotomy and that and now she does whatever we say. And when you think about what he's actually saying there, that's actually pretty terrifying. But it's the movie just yeah. kind of glosses over that part. Yeah, Superman says, "Hang on a minute, what about what you? What's this? What are you doing?" And then he doesn't really 
bring it up again. Right. Other than at the end where it's, oh yeah, we, we told the creature would send her back to her home dimension and she was very cooperative, mm-hmm. so fine. Yeah, that was another thing. It's like, how did they actually find a way to communicate with the creature too? It's, it's, yeah. it's a nice payoff at the end when you find out. And I, and I do like the idea of Superman getting creative with his powers and using them in a way where it seems like he's killing, but he's actually not. Yeah. Um, and his army of robots. And his army of robots, yeah. Uh, but it also... <laughs> It's also a little bit too, too pat, right? It, it happens a little bit too easily at the same time, too. Yeah. And it doesn't explain anything about the other members of the elite either. They're just kind of there. Right, yeah. Th- yeah, that's another thing is, like, when Manchester's about to make that telepathic connection, he says, you know, you know, some of us had, didn't have it so easy in the origin department. You get the sense that he's going to be talking about all the elite, but he only talks about himself. And then the... Yeah. The rest of them are just kind of there. We never find out what their deal is. I thought that was also kind of For a missed opportunity. pacing reasons, that makes sense, because yeah. it might have been a bit tedious to go through five origin stories, mm-hmm. especially when some of them would have been less interesting than others. That's something that Supergirl did. I'm not going to say well. Did okay, as in you had introductory episodes for mm-hmm. each of the elite members that they were using. But yeah. yeah, I think this story would probably have benefited a little bit more if... Um, for you know, maybe a little bit more depth on some of the other elite members and why they're they're following along. Because I think Coldcast is especially an interesting character where he actually ends up reforming and he ends up coming over more to Superman's line of thinking in the comics. And you kind of hmm. see his his growth and evolution. So I think I mean I'm not they obviously couldn't have done all that in one movie, but you know, maybe some hints about some changes and to to and they also go they go very quickly from idolizing Superman to being like you said super villains i think that that whole aspect of it is kind of rushed too yeah and i wouldn't have hated it if the film was another 15 minutes oh yeah to add out some of this stuff i think that it's better than it being too abrupt when the shift happens when you're suddenly in the middle of the second act and then everything's different completely different all the characters are different and yeah so yeah, that's, I would have watched another 15 minutes of this. Yeah, that, that's one of those. That's a good point. Because this movie's only like, what, 76 minutes long? So. Yeah, an hour 14, I think it is. Right. Yeah. yeah so including these, credits. Yeah, so these movies, you know, when they have these shorter ones, that's a lot of stuff you're trying to squeeze into a little bit of time. And when you've got something like The Death the Death and Return of Superman or um, The Dark Knight Returns, they, had, they did that as two movies. And then later yeah. they released it as one collection. <laughs> I don't. I know originally they were kind of stuck to that seventy-five minute, eighty-minute format because they had to fit it into like you know um, TV blocks on Cartoon Network. But by this point, I don't think they still had that limitation. So I don't know why they keep forcing this limitation on themselves because it's it's direct to video. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, they were all just DVD releases. Yeah, yeah. some of them would come out in the cinema. I've seen a few of them in the cinema. Actually, oh, really? I saw the. Death and Return of Superman ones is a, a double bill in the cinema. That was really cool. Oh, that's cool. But but yeah, I'm I'm not sure why they keep forcing this this limited format. It would have been it'd be nice if they actually let it let some of these stories breathe a little bit more. I think. Yeah, there's a always a possibility that they could just seem bloated, and maybe they're bearing in mind their target audience, which is probably a lot younger than we are, and it's the whole attention span thing. Well, that too, although this one's actually pretty adult. Like, they've got, you know, they're tossing around swear words a bunch. They've got, they're dealing with some pretty adult themes in it. I mean, this movie's actually a whole lot more adult than I think a lot of people might might realize. 
Yeah, I find that with a lot of these animated ones. And mm. I know that in some cases they just straight up just go for the R rating. Oh, yeah. The yeah. Killing Joke, for example, and, and things like that. But We don't talk about the Killing Joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit rough. Oh. Um, but it's one where they just, it, at least before it came out, everybody was like, this is going to be amazing. Right. It's Kevin Conroy voicing Batman. It's the Killing Joke story. It's R rated. Mark Hamill's the Joker. It's going to be incredible. And then, and then it comes out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shame that was their last film together. <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, on that note, uh, Craig, you want to tell people where they can find you? Sure. So as I said earlier, you can find me mainly on Neil Before Blog. So that's neilbeforeblog.co.uk or just put it onto Twitter and Facebook and it'll come up until Twitter disappears completely, in which case I'll need to think about where else it's going to live. But for now... At least at time of recording, that's where it can be found. And as I said, I review a bunch of stuff like this, mm-hmm. lots of nerdy stuff, the Winchesters at the moment, etc. So you can find my reviews on there and the Attached Podcast, which talks about, again, stuff like this. There's all sorts of stuff on there. And I can be found over on the We Made This Podcast Network as well. I'm one of the four co-hosts of We Are Starfleet, which at the moment is covering Star Trek Prodigy, which is my favorite modern Star Trek show. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much for for coming on. Uh, We'll have links to all that stuff in the show notes, so you can go ahead and check those out. Um, Craig, it's been fun. Uh, Thanks for coming on, talking about Superman vs. the Elite, and anytime you want to come on back, just uh, let me know. I'll definitely come back. I was looking at the list of all the stuff that you haven't you've done and been mm. thinking about here's all the stuff you haven't done yet. there's a, yeah some there, there's some interesting <laughs> there's some interesting holes that we have in in, the, in that list I'm just, it always kind of surprises me the some some of the suggestions that people have when they want to come on the show some you know make sense but other ones you know it's kind of it, it's interesting to see the ones that people don't suggest even though they're like these huge holes we have in the in the in the stuff we've covered um stuff like this is a bit more niche isn't it stuff like this not everyone's gonna find it right right but um but yeah we've gotten some surprising ones uh anyway anyway uh superherocinephiles.com is the website super cinema pod on instagram and for now twitter although craig said who knows how much longer that's going to be around um at this rate uh we're recording this episode in november and so things are really by the time this you guys listen to it maybe things will calm down or maybe Twitter will be completely gone. We'll see what happens. Um, but we're also Super Cinema Pod on there for the time being, at least. And then we are also uh, patreon.com slash Super Cinema Pod. If you want to uh, subscribe to the show um, for as little as a dollar a month, you get these episodes a week in advance. And you also get access to the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club, where we talk about comics uh, and all that stuff. It's about one bonus episode a month where we talk about that stuff. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
Thank you for listening. And as always, good night, good evening, God bless.